0: Ephesians 6, verse 10 says this, finally, my brethren. So, this is after he has um, been teaching this whole thing. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the enemy. So, how many of you know he's got some stuff? It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our problem isn't just people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers. uh, I'm sorry, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand. And it says, "Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth." And goes on to say some things. I want to say this before we read on. This is super important to know that God gave us this instruction because He wants us to win. He said, "I want you to be able to withstand when tough times come." Because how many of you know you could be just strolling along with God and everything is perfect, and you think, "Woo hoo! This we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna keep sailing downhill, just hands off the handlebars." Woo hoo! You know, like when you're little, you know, just going to town, riding down the street, and there's just nothing that's going to slow us down. Everything's perfect. Nothing's going to change. And you're like, what's going on here? Anybody ever had one of those days? I I thought I was doing, I I didn't sin, I didn't do, and all of a sudden, what in the world? Well, those days do come, but he wants us to know that there is armor so you can overcome when those days come. Those days don't last forever. That's always good to get in the back of your head. Bad, hard times don't last forever. And then all of a sudden you'll be back in those times going, woohoo! hoo you know, everything's perfect, God's wonderful. Well, he's wonderful no matter what. And so we just need to know that. And need to recognize here that these days don't last forever. That's good. It's helpful. Because when people have a test or a trial and it lasts for a day or two or three or four, they act as though it's never going to change. And it does and it will. And God helps us and will direct us so we can overcome and live victorious. So notice here it says, verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then verse 16 says this, Above all. So he tells us, do those things. Then he said, above all, do these. So how many of you know the other things are important? But then he said, but above these, do these. And then he mentions three things here. And we mentioned the first one, and we're going to go through and look at the second one. It says, Stand therefore, girding your waist. Then it says, having your feet shod, and so on and so forth. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench most of the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we said this, oh, all of them. All of them. And what are fiery darts? They're accusations. It didn't say you're going to stop them from coming, but he said you will be able to extinguish them. You will be able to extinguish them. It's so interesting, he said your tongue is like a little fire in James. And he said you can set a whole forest on fire with your own tongue. And so it is with your tongue you're going to extinguish the enemy's fire or just get the thing burning out of control. You with me? And fires may be cool to observe from a distance, but standing in them, no fun. You out there? And so he said you could extinguish every fiery dart that the enemy would throw at you. And then it goes on to say, after that, and we talked about that, using God's word to extinguish lies, because they come. And they come, and sometimes people don't know. You know, I remember when I started the church, God had clearly spoken to me, not when I was five years old, but about three and a half years before I came here to start the church. He didn't say started. I started knowing inside. Man, change is coming. So, of course, I'm from Southern California. The best place for me is, um, is uh, Redondo Beach or... You know, I started picking these beach communities where I was going to go. And I was serious. I even went to the Port Theater down in an unincorporated area of Newport Beach. I was like, that thing's been closed for years. It's that old retro-looking thing. I'm like, bam, you know, oh, found the location, Lord, right there. <laughs> and when he's silent, sometimes you need to pay attention. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. So I knew you just don't do it. I'm like, but Lord, because I need to know. And then he started dealing with me about Arizona after I thought, well, after Southern California was eliminated, I went to Minnesota in my mind. I just went across the United States. I was a, the state of 10,000 lakes. I don't know how I entertained that. And I, but I was thinking water, inland water, cool, nice water, and people that knew me You know, I took advantage of being a youth pastor. I always took them to the beach and thought, this is good for me, this is good for them. It might be better for me. So we just always going to the beach. We're going to go snorkeling. We're going to go, you know, we're going to go down there and body surf. We're going to do whatever, and uh, we're going to hang out at the beach. We're just going to do a lot of beach trips. So I'm taking advantage. So then people, when they left, you know, or they're like, oh, you're going to go to a place with no water? And then they would make fun of me. At least there's a lot of beaches, just no water, you know. (laughs) um, in Arizona, but I knew, I knew, you know, because there's beaches, that's sand, there's no water, you just never get to the edge, you know, and, um, so I came, and, uh, I knew I was supposed to start the church, I knew it, I mean, I knew I was supposed to come to Arizona, and, uh, you know, a lot of things transpired, and, and people would come up to me, are you leaving, you, you're gonna, you gonna go start a church somewhere, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I'm gonna, and, uh, So I get here to Arizona, make a long story short, I start the church. There's like 20 people, first service. That's awesome. They're all from California. The next (laughs) week, we were like at three, you know. And, um, you know, I didn't do, people laugh at me when they, other ministers, they're like, how did you start? Because there's like a formula, you know, you have 30 families, and everybody takes a ministry, and they all reach this many people. So when you start, you're already going. Well, that's not the, f- I mean, if that's the case, then what's, what's up, Lord? You know, but I came because he told me to go. That's how I read it in the Bible, and so I thought, I'm not going to wait till everybody tells you you're doing it the right way or the wrong way. So I came. And so we start. I leave the service. I'm feeling pretty good. I live out in Gold Canyon. I got a 20-minute drive. I'm cruising home hand on the steering wheel, rolling. (laughs) Yeah, we just did it. We started. That's what I wanted. I just wanted to start. I didn't care if 10,000 people came, one came, it's done. We're rolling, you know. We're just rolling now, and we're in business. That's what I wanted. I just, you know, have you ever done that? You know, I just want to start a conversation with that person. Once it's going, we're cool. I mean, it's just, that's how it was. It was just, I just need to obey and get going. So we did it. We're going. I'm. Ro- There's some rolling hills in Gold Canyon. And, it, and all of a sudden, just it was like a cloud. I don't even know how to explain it. Total discouragement came on me. And just a pressure. And it just said, you should, you should quit. You should, you should just close this thing up. And I was like, whoa. I mean, it's like, I need an umbrella. It's raining in this car. I mean, it just like gloom came. And I'm not like a real discouraged type person, you know. If something happens, I'm like, well, okay, let's keep going. I mean, I'm not like that. And and I'm thinking, whoa. And it just got darker and darker, and it's 1230 in the afternoon or 12 o'clock. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And I thought, what in the world? And it just pressured to quit, close the thing up. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here, discouragement. And I'm not kidding you, it just blew away and it left it came back one more time a little while later and i said and that was that became a reality to me i went discouragement is not from god and i spoke and i said you you get out of here and you know it left and it and i had no more discouragement about it and uh then we went to 10,000 people the next week and um <laughs> so so praise the Lord. You're like, where are all those 10,000? Well, you know, they just haven't showed up yet. I mean, but, you know. But listen, those fiery darts come to people and stuff, and sometimes people don't know what they look like. I did. I spoke to that thing and said, get. And I'm telling you, it was like before I got home, I can picture the spot in the road. It wasn't even an eighth of a mile from my home, and I didn't drive 200 feet, in that discouragement left. And uh, But these things come to people. And so he said, take the shield of faith, and you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts. Otherwise, I could have just started entertaining that and start thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? And it would have just started getting worse and worse. What am I doing? I can't even believe I moved away from everybody. I'm here by myself. I bought a house. I don't have a job. What was I thinking? (laughs) You know? And I could have just went down that path you know, have you ever, if, you, if you ever hike or go places, you know, and you head down a path, do you know if you head down a path long enough, you get somewhere? <laughs> I'm just saying, that's pretty incredible thinking, right? And, but I knew if I just keep going down this path, I'm going to get somewhere. And, you know, I'm going to be stuck in the mud. And I'm going to be so discouraged, you know, I'm going to probably show up next week, and when I do see the three people that come, one of them was brand new for the first time, and we, I mean, so technically we had two originals and one more, so we doubled, pretty much, not counting myself, you know, or not doubled, we jumped 50%, so we're flying. Actually, she's still in the church, but she's in the back row, right back there. <laughs> Praise God, at least she's in a row. And... um but I mean it was like, you know, if I would have left that discouragement and then you show up with that image. Hallelujah. Well, that was good. Well, it lasted everybody, you're dismissed and don't come back. We're closing the doors. But I knew and you got to know the truth and you got to know what's right because it's what'll make you ready to fight. You with me? You got to know what God's called you to do. You got to know you're saved. You got to know who you belong to. And that'll put a fight in you. You with me? But if you don't think like that and don't act like that and don't realize, you know, we were singing all those songs. I was thinking about people in heaven. We were singing about the blood of Jesus. And I was thinking, wow, there was a day about 2,000 years ago when all of a sudden Jesus showed up into heaven and all the angels saw him appear in heaven with his own blood and presented in the holy of holies so that everybody who would die who'd be saved would just be able to enter straight in. That was the first day and then after that everything changed in heaven. People would just show up when they died if they were saved. They'd come. and I was thinking about that. I was like everything changed. And I, and I and I was thinking about the name and how Jesus gets involved and all that stuff when we were singing. I was like, "Wow, man, this is incredible. There's a heaven side to this whole thing." And that's how I think about this church. There's a heaven side to this church, too. It wasn't just some natural idea, you know. Too many of us have fought too many things to stay put to think we're fighting just a natural battle. Yeah, now I finally get some amens. <laughs> that's right. I've been fighting for a reason. And, but the fact of the matter is, he wants us to win, and he said, we can quench those fiery darts, but you have to have a certain mentality, too, when it comes down to it. you got to know you're saved. you got to know who you are in Christ, and you got to start thinking a certain way because, I'll tell you what, stuff's going to come, and you're going to have to have your head in the right place. Mm-hmm. You with me? And so that being said, he said, above all, take the shield of faith. Wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. And then it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But he said, take the helmet of salvation. I'm going to read it in two different translations. It says, and accept salvation. Now, but, we've, but we know from reading, he's writing to people who are already saved. Already born again Already have entered into sonship privileges in the kingdom of God. There are sonship privileges in the kingdom of God because you are saved that are privileges that are not given to anybody else in the world. They're only given for children of God. And when you get saved, you get sonship privileges. And he said here, accept salvation as a helmet. Remember this, salvation is in this spiritual battle we're in, is like a helmet. Accept salvation like a helmet. Well, what does a helmet do? You ever watch those movies, you know, Saving Private Ryan or whoever, and then the guy's helmet falls off? You already know what's going to happen. Great. You're like, this is going to be cool. Some people are like, yes, his helmet fell off. And others are like, put your helmet on, put your helmet on. Don't peek. And then they inevitably go, Huh? Dummy, what are you doing? And then others like, that was awesome. But in real life, that's not awesome. That's a movie. But he said, accept salvation as a helmet and the word of God as the sword which the Spirit gives you. Another translation says it like this, also take salvation as your helmet. Take salvation as your helmet. Here's the interesting thing. When you get saved, salvation is a reality in your spirit. You have it. But now you need to take it up in your head and begin to think a certain way about your life. And it's sad that so many times people don't think a certain way about their own life. So you'll get saved people who haven't taken this helmet or this salvation as a helmet, and they'll say stuff like this, I'm just like everybody else, I'm just a sinner. No, if you're saved, you're not just a sinner. You have a new nature. You may still sin, but you have a new nature. You're not like everybody else, and you need to take that helmet or salvation as a helmet. Well, you know, we're just all going to get beat up in this life, and you never know, we're just going to squeak right into heaven, pull our foot through the door, so just doesn't slam on it. You know, you ever done that, and then it catches you, and you're like, Ow. We're just going to barely make it in. That is not the image of what they're writing here. He wants you to be victorious, but you are not going to be victorious if you don't take salvation as a helmet. Why? Because you're going to think I'm like the world. The world can overcome me. Everything in the world is going to have its way in my life. And you're not thinking like a son or a daughter of God. You're not thinking like you're saved. You're not thinking like you're who you really are. So he said, you need this and take this salvation as a helmet. In other words, you need to start thinking. In the the Bible, we see things like this. A, a, A saved person's spirit is made new, but then it talks about the renewing and the restoring of the soul, the mind, the emotions, the intellect. Your spirit's made brand new. You've got so much power in you and life and ability of God. One of the great mysteries that's revealed in the New Testament is this phrase. Christ is in you. The hope and expectation of glory. His life and his ability is in the believer. But how many people don't have the helmet of salvation? They don't even realize they have the exact life Jesus had. That's why we should never think the world is exactly like us. Because they don't have the life of Jesus. What does it mean to have the life of Jesus? I don't know. That means you've got the life of God in you. The source, the power, everything. Just because you haven't tapped it and released it doesn't mean it's not there. If you're saved, it's there. You know? People have accidentally released it in areas of their life and seen wonderful miracles, and then, but they don't think they've got something. They don't think like they have something. They don't think like they're a son. They don't think like they're a daughter. They don't think like they're different and that they don't belong. You know, they just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm saved, but what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, you got to know because you need to have this for a helmet you need to think like I'm somebody different. I am a son with sonship privileges. That means you've got privileges that you either you're tapping into or not, and you may not even know they exist. So we're going to look at one stretch of scripture, I believe. That doesn't mean we won't look at others, but we'll at least start here before we go. Colossians, the first chapter. And we're going to look at some of this uh, sonship mentality, this, this salvation mentality, this helmet. And so here in Colossians, the first chapter, uh, it's real interesting uh, when Paul found out uh, about these people being saved and having uh, received Christ. And uh, he, he heard about this and then he went to work praying for them. And actually, he had heard about it from somebody else who had already been praying. And actually, they both pray along the same lines for these people. You know, we shouldn't just pray for our friends. You know, Lord, send laborers across their path. That's important. But we should pray for one another, too. And because there's certain things we need to know. And if we don't know them, then we can't always walk in the privileges that are actually already ours. You with me? I mean, you know... You ever watch those shows, you know, like, oh, we bought this home and stuff, and we just decided to gut the thing, and we found a hidden room with all these cool books and trinkets, and it was worth a million dollars, you know. There was stuff there. I've seen stuff where people bought a home, and, you know, there was an article in California, and this guy was digging in his backyard and found a couple of jars or cans full of, you know, real old coins, full of silver collectible coins worth millions of dollars. I was there the whole time. But could he have lived his life? Somebody's like, I'm digging in my backyard today. That's <laughs> it. But could, you, could they have lived their whole life without digging and, and, and lived poor, lived barely getting by, and, and having a dream for a big life? And they just kept dreaming of the big life. But without digging, they didn't experience the big life. They lived and died. And maybe somebody else later on got the house and dug and found it. We don't want that to be that way. Is there something already that we have as believers that we need to know so we can access it? And if we don't have on the helmet of salvation, and you can't put it on apart from knowledge. So let's notice this in Colossians, the first chapter, in the ninth verse. It says, for this reason we also, we also, meaning Paul and those guys, besides Epaphras, since the day we heard it, heard about their faith, heard about their love, do not, for the Lord and how they had received Him, we do not cease to pray for you. What was it? What, what were they praying? And, and, and He said to ask. So they're praying, they're asking, they're getting after it, and they're doing this regularly for these people that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So many times people think of that as, oh, God's will for my life is some big call. And it could be, but that's not all of it. His will for your life is everything that Christ purchased in salvation. Whether it's deliverance and authority over the devil, whether it's healing, whether it's living a victorious life, whatever it is, whatever was purchased in salvation, that's His will. The Bible said Jesus died to be a surety of this will. He died and he rose to enforce the will. But how many people have ever been to the reading of the will? This is the book that explains the will. What Christ died to get for us, what he did. And this is all part of salvation. This isn't like, oh, now that I'm saved, now what do I got to do to get that? No, you got it in Christ. And so he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom, which means skillful in doing and spiritual understanding. In other words, you would get this inside. You would just know that you would know. Later on, he talks about the sure, the full confidence, the assurance of faith. He wanted them to come to a full confidence and assurance. And inward, yes, that's mine. That that will of God, that that he purchased, is mine. And he wanted them to come to the full assurance of faith. In other words, once you know it, it gives you an inward assurance. So what's he praying? That they might have a spiritual understanding. They might have assurance of what belongs to them inside. They know it beyond their head. Not just take it up in their thinking, but it has got way down in them. And they're just confident. That's it, period. And so he's sitting here praying, and he said, I'm praying, and I don't cease. And others have prayed this way, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Right? Isn't that what it says in the next verse? We can back up halfway. He said, ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. His will is that all would be saved. He purchased it for people. It's His will that every believer walk in the fullness of the things that are His and theirs in Christ. But obviously, they need to be filled with this knowledge about it or you wouldn't tap into it. You wouldn't have that confidence. Notice this, verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, fully pleasing Him. It pleases God when you walk in the things he provided. I, the Bible even said this, when people start walking in salvation, when people give their life to Christ, it said all of heaven rejoices. That would include the angels and God himself. Well, right here it says, it talks about fully pleasing him. It's pleasing to him for people to get saved. It's pleasing to him when people walk in what he's provided for them. You know, have you ever bought stuff for your kids, you know, some kind of toy, some kind of, you know, game, and they never take it out and play with it? That's exciting. That's pleasing, right? I spent that money, got them a bike, a motorcycle, and they don't like it. Video game, a computer, they don't like it. Isn't it pleasing to you when you get them something, and then they play with it, and they use it, and they put in there, and you're like, that's awesome. That's the gift I got them. But if they just go, oh, whatever, and they, they don't think much of it, don't do anything, if, if, if God's heart, if your heart's that way, this is pleasing to God for us to walk in the stuff. It's not like, well, God, oh, I know you paid for this for me. I just don't know if I'm worthy. He's like, play with it, please. Take it. Do something. Walk in it. Experience it. I want this. I paid for that. Well, you know, I'm just not worthy. Isn't it amazing? Normal kids, you know, they could have done something totally wrong. And then all of a sudden they're playing with something you bought them. They don't grovel around. Oh, I'm so unworthy of this bicycle to ride. Oh, I'll keep riding it, but I'm unworthy. No, they don't even think anything of it. They're like, woo, cool, I'm on my bike. Where do we get that mentality that we should feel condemned for walking in whatever Christ paid for us to have? Wonder if that could have been from a fiery dart somewhere. Just saying. So he said that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful. What's pleasing to him? Being fruitful. What is fruit? Producing stuff. Having stuff in your life. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Then it goes on to say, and this is what he prayed, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience, or literally consistency, and long-suffering, staying with it with joy. Here's the thing. God wants to strengthen you to continue to walk in his things, to continue to keep going and walking in his best. That's why he kept praying. God wants you to be fruitful, and he didn't want this to last for about a week or two or a month or two. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that you're filled with the knowledge as well, and I'm going to pray that his spirit would strengthen you on the inside, that you keep going and you keep walking with God. And you make it when you're in the middle of a test because it's in all tests and trials. He wants you to keep being fruitful and keep walking in his best and keep living in his best. And he'll strengthen you so you could pray this for yourself. This is all that mentality of salvation. He wants you to keep on because aren't we talking about armor and salvation? And he's wanting them to walk through a test and walk through a trial. And so he said, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened inside by his glorious power. That there would be strength. He didn't say that you might just experience it on Sunday morning. I do know how good it was. And if I can just make it through till next Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. No, why don't you just start saying, God, and why don't we start praying for another? Strengthen people so they'll be consistent all through the week. And then be strong to make it on Sunday. You with me? And be fruitful. Produce. God wants you to produce. Right? Somebody said, I'm trying. That's what my lemon tree said. Ah, oh, I'm fruit. And said, I'm trying. <laughs> uh. Blue. Out came a lemon. Thank you. This isn't about laying eggs like some chicken. This is about bearing something. And the Word of God will produce things naturally in your life. You know, I put a post on Facebook about Colossians where he had talked about before. He said the Word of God went everywhere, and he said and it produces fruit. And he's wanting them to be filled with this knowledge. Why? Because it will produce fruit. That's why you need to think and let this stuff get in your heart. Because eventually it will just start producing fruit. What kind of fruit? Not like fruits and nuts. I mean like God fruit. Not, not make you weird. Yeah, I became a Christian. Now I'm totally weird. That's why I'm kind of curious about this Christian. I like the Christian thing. You know, that was one of uh, about two things that was holding me back. One, I thought I had to get my life right. And one, I had this image, if you're a Christian, you're crazy, I, st- I don't know. I think it was supernatural, but from the enemy, I still had this image of driving through this parking lot down the street from our house, and a guy got on the trunk of his car and got on his car. I watched him, and I, it just is ingrained in me, and he is in this parking lot preaching about Jesus, and I drove by, and that was my image. If I serve God, I got to get like that. Whoa. I didn't even want to look. I mean, I just remember it was a big old boat, you know, like a big Chrysler, you know, and he just... It up there. It was like brown, you know, and uh, Jesus, and you're going to hell. And I'm thinking, i got to serve Jesus, and that's what you're going to require of me. I finally got so disgusted with my life, I thought, if you want me to stand on a car, I'll do it. I need you. I received him, and he didn't ask me to stand on a car. But some people think you got to be crazy. I think that was actually a turnoff. I don't think anybody got saved. But it sure helped hindered me trying to come to the Lord. Great, that's what I've got to become right there. But no, I didn't. But here's the thing: He wants us to be fruitful, and He wants us to take this mentality of sonship. There's privileges. There's rights I have. And he prayed that you might know his will, what he bought, what he paid for, what he got for you. That you'd be so full of this, it'd bring an inward confidence to you and and would begin to change you from the inside out. And then what's interesting, after he said, I want you to know about this will, the, the things you, what I got, what I paid for, he makes some interesting statements right here. He said in verse 12, he hasn't finished his thoughts He said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me, no, us, who, these sons and daughters, he's qualified us, what, to walk in his will, to walk in his best, to live out what he provided. He said, giving thanks to the Father so you can thank God instead of trying Instead of trying to get stuff from him, why don't you start thanking him for the stuff he got for you and that he has qualified you to partake? You know, I know when I first started trying to build credit, you know, I remember going and getting a car for the first time and doing it on credit. I think my interest rate was like 19%. Because I didn't. somebody said serious, i totally serious. Remember when interest rates on homes were way up there and stuff too? And I literally was like, I'll do it. Because I wasn't personally qualified to have a lower interest rate. So if I wanted it, I'd have to pay that price. But what's cool here is I don't have to pay such a great price. He paid it. And so it says, give thanks to the Father. He's qualified. One translation said, he made you able. He qualified us to be partakers of these things, of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What does that mean, in the light? Well, he tells us. He has delivered us. This is that salvation mentality. He has, not he's going to. He has delivered us. And in this interesting when we're talking about spiritual warfare? We're not thinking about the devil. We're thinking about I'm delivered from him. I'm delivered from all his power. My mentality should not be about a big battle. It should be that a battle was already won, and I'm saved. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm in the kingdom. I'm not under the... This ain't some big devil parade out there, some circus, you know. Circus is in town. Let's go check out the circus. The devil's here. Let's check him out. Let's get our focus on him. That should be the least of our concerns. Our biggest concern should be getting this mentality of, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I belong to God. I'm no longer in the kingdom of darkness. I've been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. I'm not in the dark. I'm in the light. I have an inheritance. He made me able to partake. People are praying for me. I pray for you. Others pray for you. You'd be filled with the knowledge of this will, his inheritance. That's why we preach what we do. And then it goes on to say, He has, not He's going to, He has delivered us. So you need to get this mentality He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and He has conveyed or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. I'm in Jesus. I'm trying. Well, if you're saved, you're in. You just need to put on the helmet. You need to start thinking like you've got an inheritance. You need to start thinking like, man, I am born again. That doesn't just mean my sins were washed away. That means I'm qualified. That means you're qualified. That means I have something. That doesn't mean I'm trying to get something. I need to start thinking like I've got. I need to start thinking like I'm clean. I need to start thinking like I'm saved. I need to start thinking like, man, there's purpose for my life that he put into me. And so he's praying that they would get this stuff because we need this helmet. We need to think. He has delivered me. He's put me in a different kingdom. I'm not fighting because I'm in the kingdom of darkness. I'm in the body of Christ. I'm already raised up victorious. And he, just, he didn't talk about some big struggle here. He said, give thanks. You've been qualified. I don't feel qualified. That's why you need to not worry about how you feel and recognize I need to get this inward confidence through this knowledge. Notice, he has delivered us. I'm so glad Paul didn't say, well, you've been qualified, he delivered me. Then that would be a bummer because then how could I think like I'm delivered? Well, i got to get to his place. No, he qualified, think of all the things, filled with the knowledge, strengthened to partake and walk in, qualified to walk in. You with me? Moved you out of the kingdom of darkness, put you into the kingdom of his dear son, and notice what it says. We're in him, we're in Jesus, we're in his kingdom, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood, the remission, or literally removal of sin. What did he just got done saying? You're redeemed. It means you've been bought back, and there is an inheritance for you. That's what he's talking about. Redemption is about him buying you out and giving you the blessings of Abraham, in a nutshell, without going into scriptures. But you could find them if you just read Galatians, the third chapter, and other places that you already have an inheritance. That is part of the helmet of salvation. Start thinking like, I got something. Amen? Amen. What, What kind of hat are you wearing? What kind of helmet are you wearing? It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. You with me? When we start thinking like I'm a son because I'm saved or I have sonship privileges, and you start thinking like it, you're going to start acting different. Totally different. Because you're not going to be thinking, I need to get these. And that's why he said, just start thanking God. They're yours. He made you able. He qualified you. Then I'm not trying to climb the ladder to walk in this. Okay, did I just get done lying for 35 minutes or what? (laughs) I can all act all depressed. Dear God. (laughs) Oh, what am I going to do? Well, give thanks, man. I mean, unless I just got done espousing a bunch of lies, you know. Well, now that we're done lying for 35 minutes, have a good day, everybody. (laughs) Hope I made you feel good for a few minutes, but it's hell out there and you're in trouble. (laughs) You know, you wonder what people hear when you get done preaching. You know, you think, what? Put on the helmet, you can win. Because you are created in Christ to be more than a conqueror. Those scriptures are not just filling up space. They're like, we need 37. You know, we got 36. We need a verse 37. How about you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you, and nothing shall separate you from his love. Well, that would be a good one. Let's put it in there. All right. More than conquerors. I mean, it means nothing. But it's awesome. I mean, it just makes you feel good at least. No, that's part of your helmet. I'm saved. He wants me to live in this. And he qualified me, strengthened me. He's trying to get information to me. I know, but do you know what's going on in my life. That's why we've been preaching the last 35 minutes. So you could get know what's going on in God's mind about your life. Amen? And your life is not as bad as you think. And he said, Oh, yeah, oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. The solution is already there. That's why you got to put on the helmet.